Welcome. It's great to have you all here with us. You know, I've been doing a lot of upgrading of our technology. It's important to have the latest tech for your research, right? Well, my son asked me if he could, you know, if I would upgrade his tech for him. So I took his phone and put it on the top shelf. <laughs> now it's high tech, so. Well, it's time to turn it over to somebody whose tech is always high. It's Dr. John with the Technology Spotlight. Mm, high tech, so appropriate. We're talking about, uh, just imagine if you could see into the future. Well, how about instead, what if you could see into the past? Well, it turns out that we can actually do that. We can see into the past, but only at things that are really, really far away. And this is because light travels at the speed of light. So something that's, say, a thousand light years away, when we get light from there, we're seeing light from a thousand years ago. So it's like we're seeing into the past. And it takes a really good telescope to do something like that. And, you know, we've been building bigger and better telescopes here, but we have a problem. We have an atmosphere over the Earth that messes up the image. And so we can only do so well until we put a telescope into space. And you might recognize this telescope. This is the Hubble telescope, and it can see amazingly well in space because there's no atmosphere in the way. This telescope has taken over one and a half million photographs, and it's taught us so much that 18,000 scientific papers are based on observations that it's made. It's an amazing accomplishment, and uh, it's a really, it's, it's my favorite telescope. <laughs> but it's getting a little old. It's already 30 years old, and just this last week they had a glitch and some people were worried that it wasn't going to come up. Luckily, the NASA engineers were able to get it back up, and it's starting to do research again. But it got people thinking, what comes next? You know, we've been working on new space telescopes, but they are focusing on mainly the infrared light, which is light that we don't see. One of the really amazing things Hubble does is takes pictures of visible light, which is really neat because it's what we see. So what's going to fill this gap as Hubble retires? And that's our technology spotlight. There's a new telescope that uh, researchers, international teams have been working on that isn't a space telescope, but it's a balloon telescope. Check this out. This is uh, the prototype that they're testing. And this is going to ride up on a balloon up to 25 miles above the Earth's atmosphere. And up at that level, they're above 99.5% of the Earth's atmosphere. So they are able to do about as good as Hubble at that altitude. But one of the big problems that they've always had with balloon telescopes like this is that they don't stay up for very long. They go up for you know about a week, and then they come down. And so it's been kind of a problem. But recently, NASA's been working on a new type of balloon. They call it super pressure balloon that will allow them to stay up for months. They think they can stay up to 100 days in the air. So it'll keep going around the Earth and riding those, those wind currents. And during the day, it'll charge its solar panels, charge its batteries with solar panels. And then 
when it gets to the night side, it'll start observing. And um, back in 2019, they did an experiment and proved that they would be able to stabilize the telescope well enough for it to work. And so they're getting ready to start an actual mission where they start doing observations. Uh, so I want to show you a video of them releasing uh, their test version of this telescope. And uh, you'll notice how there's the little uh, secondary balloon that's going to give it a lift, and then that big balloon right there is the main balloon. And you notice how it looks full. With the old kind of balloons, they almost look empty at this altitude, and then as they climb, they get bigger and bigger and bigger. Uh, but in this case, they maintain the pressure, and so they can hold the balloon at, at the same height. There it goes, off to explore the universe, right? <laughs> uh, but of course, the big question is, what does it look like up at 25 miles above the Earth? So we got to do a video of that, too. So <laughs> this is the footage. And you'll notice how it rocks a little bit. And so they have to do stabilization. They have to detect the movement and keep the telescope pointed just right. <clears throat> but it's pretty amazing up there. You can see the curvature of the Earth. And so uh, a lot of neat opportunities. Now, one of the things that's special about this versus a space telescope is that it's only $5 million. And it's a, yeah, yeah, only, you know, but that's actually about a hundredth the price of a space telescope. So even though that's a lot, that means we could make it cheaper or we could make a hundred of them. Just think of how many observations we could do. So, and, and we can also upgrade them really often. Since they're up for a few months, then they come down and we put in the latest high-resolution cameras that we have to offer. Instead of having to send the astronauts up into space to upgrade Hubble, we can just upgrade it every few months. So there are a lot of opportunities there. And uh, next year in April, they're going to launch the first real mission that's going to be studying gravitational waves. And uh, so that's really exciting. So we might not be able to look into the future, but we're going to see a lot in the future. And that's all the tech we have the time for. It's time for Breakthrough Moments in Science with Tobias. Well, when you're trying to do a breakthrough, a lot of times you're going to hear something like, well, you can't do that because it's impossible, okay? <laughs> but that's okay. That's why it's a breakthrough, right? <clears throat> and it turns out, Things that you learn, like math, physics, engineering, all these great things, they can empower you to break through and do amazing things. And that's something we're going to talk about tonight is something that was impossible that was done. We're going to talk about a bridge, okay? Not to be confused with a football referee. <laughs> Incomplete, touchdown, toilet seat, okay. But a bridge, okay? Now, a bridge, okay, we have bridges everywhere. I mean, you lay a tree down on a stream, you created a bridge, and you cross the bridge. Well, this was the impossible bridge. And we're going to jump back to the early 1900s to a West Coast city, San Francisco, one of the fastest growing cities at this time. And it was situated on the edge of the coast, so it's on the coast, but it's the city by the bay. Okay, so how, how is this situated? Well, basically, there's, there's the coast, but then there is an opening. 
and ocean came through the opening, and there's a bay, okay? And there's this arm in the opening, and that's San Francisco, okay? And then there's a tiny opening at the top of San Francisco, about a mile long, and they called it the Golden Gate Strait. And pretty much, if you wanted to go into San Francisco from anywhere around here, you had to either ride a, a boat across this Golden Gate Strait, and it was kind of treacherous waters, um, fast. It was a little narrow opening into this huge bay, so the water was moving fast a lot of the time, or moving around quickly. Or you could take the trek over 100 miles around the bay to go up into San Francisco by land. And so, you know, those are your options, okay? Or you could swim. <laughs> okay, <laughs> not really an option. Okay, so that was kind of what we were looking at. And they wanted a bridge. That would be great. If we had a bridge we could cross, that would be great. And cars were kind of a new thing at the time. We were starting to use cars more and trucks. We could have so much more commerce and visiting, you know, people, tourists coming in and being able to go back and forth. So it was a lot of reasons why a bridge would be awesome to have. But how do you do that? Well, a, an engineer named Joseph Strauss w decided to take on building a bridge across the Golden Gate Strait. Now, remember, this is intense waters. It's over a mile long, okay? So uh, immediately, you can't do that. It's impossible. It's oh, no bridge has ever been made that's this long. No bridge has ever been made that's as tall as you're thinking you're going to make it. And it's in uh, San Francisco's famous for its fog, so that's going to be a problem. All these issues of why you can't do it. Well, eventually, he gets enough support from the community and from business owners to start funding this. And January 5th, 1933, they start building a bridge. Now, we have to remember some things about bridges. They, you know, we talked about the tree on the stream, you know, so here's my, this is my high-tech modeling. I'm going to be your strict teacher tonight, okay? You do your math, I'll eat your egg rolls. <laughs> okay, no, <laughs> a bridge, okay? Here's our tree, it's on the stream, we can cross, and it's great. But the longer the bridge has to be, the more flimsy that bridge is. So if you have it, so for example, if this bridge was this long, I can't really bend that, okay? But now it's this long, and with that same tension, I can bend it much easier and even break it, okay? So if you have a long bridge, like over a mile long, you can't just have this straight way like this, or else you're going to have these terrible bends or even breaking points. So we could have like a post in the middle, but what about between the post and the end? I mean, we could just have lots of post stepping stones <laughs> going across. Um, how are we going to do that? So they decided to do what's called a suspension bridge. And the way this works is you, know, you have your long, skinny part going across, but then you have some points with these towers going along the bridge. But remember, we just talked about that. It's going to hold this spot, but what about over here? Okay, and they only, they decided to do two of these towers. And they suspend this flat part using cables. Okay, so they're going to have the tower, and then attached to the tower, running down, will be two large cables. And it'll come down like this and go to the other one. And then going down from those large cables will be small cables straight down holding the bridge at the bottom. And so all of the tension on the bridge is evenly distributed on these cables. And they, they designed these big cables to be an arch to keep the tension even. If you've seen a bridge where it's kind of that upside down, they have the flat part and then underneath there's an arch. It's evenly distributing the, the weight. Well, this is similar, only it's up here. 
and the tension from the bridge pulling down is going to be evenly distributed onto those big cables. The big cables evenly distribute it onto those towers. And if I pull down on this, it can take a lot more tension than this way. And so all the weight comes to those towers and that becomes the important part that needs to be very, very strong. I mean, it all needs to be really strong, but that's one of the most important parts. So here's kind of their blueprint design that they ended up doing. And it was uh, Joseph Strauss with other people involved as well. And this is what they decided to go for. Now, the taller they make those towers, it turns out, we're not gonna get too deep into the physics and engineering of it, but the taller that we make the towers and where the cables come down, the less the, the sideways tension will be on those cables without increasing the down tension. So if we can make them really tall, we'll have less sideways tension on those cables. So they decide they're gonna make those towers seven, over 700 feet tall. And if you, was that 10 stories, 12 stories? And that's like over 70 stories tall. And this is like, wow, that, that's gonna be really tall. And these cables are gonna be real. Remember, this is over a mile long. So they start working on it. The first thing they've gotta do is get those feet for the two towers made. Well, one of them was pretty easy, sort of. It was in the water, but just off the shore. So they built kind of this, this little peninsula coming off and they started pouring this huge base. And then the second one, and this is the harder one, was out in the water. And the water was uh, a little shallow, just 300 feet in. <laughs> and so to, to get the base all the way down, they had to make a case. And this, the size of that foot, that's like a small stadium. And they had to make a case they put down into the water, all the way down to the bottom, pump all the water out, and then pour cement in layers all the way up. They say they used enough cement in this bridge, in the basing of this bridge, you could pour a sidewalk from California to New York. Uh, that's a lot under that water. But remember, these two tower pieces have to hold the whole bridge. So a lot is, is resting on it, literally. Okay. So once they got those two towers in, remember, over 700 feet, now it's time for the cables. And Joseph Strauss, um, was actually really involved in the planning of it and was very concerned about the safety of the team. This was the first time that they required everyone to wear hard hats and he invested over $100,000 to have a catch net um, that would be suspended underneath. And if you look at this picture, you start to realize why. Um, they're they're running those cables and you, you slip. That's a, a long drop, a deadly drop. And the, the net actually saved 19 workers um, caught them, so it worked. And so they start running these cables. Now, remember, the tower has those two big cables, okay? Those two big cables they calculated needed to be 36 inches in diameter, okay? So one cable, and this is all metal. And so what they did was they ran small cables, and they ran another one, and another one, and another one, all the way up to getting to 36 inches of metal. So this picture has, um, uh, a pulley wheel system where that's what they would run up and down and if you see the guy walking what he's stepping on is the, the circle of or the tube of cables and you can go to the bridge now and that picture on the right is like a cutoff view of the cables over 80,000 miles of cable that's enough to go around the world over three times <laughs> um, and the, the metal came from Pennsylvania so they've actually boated it all the way down through the Panama Canal and up. Um, and this was 
all in the 1930s that they're working on this. Um, but they were able to move quite quickly. It took over a decade, though, to do this. And they had a lot of setbacks, but they worked through it. And pretty incredible that they were able to get this feat done. Now, a lot of specialists suggested they had an opinion on the paint color, and this is the paint color they chose. I don't know if you've seen it. Yeah. <laughs> Yellow and black. They were, no one had ever, you know, dealt with a bridge this tall. And they were really worried you wouldn't see it if you were flying or if you were on a boat and all that fog, so we should make it yellow and black. This is the Golden Gate Bumblebee. <laughs> um, and they luckily decided, they, they painted a primer on, and the people loved the primer color so much, they voted to keep the international orange color um, that was actually painted, so thank goodness. No bumblebees. Um, <laughs> but this, this bridge, I mean, was, this bridge was made in the 1930s and to this day, obviously, it's still used. And it stretches over a mile in length. And those cables that are holding it, because it's a suspension bridge, um, are able to move all of the tension and the weight to those towers. And then also, it helps it be more flexible. So when there's high winds and such, it's designed to be able to sway, not the towers, but the actual bridge part, up to 30, around 30 feet. Um, and and that's, that's actually not bad because you want a little give so that it won't just snap. Um, and this, remember, this is over a mile long. So. so the impossible completed because they used engineering and math and safety nets. So <laughs> thank you. And now, introducing Roger Billings. I did not know you were into flying. I am. I love That's flying. That's awesome. I absolutely love flying. You see, I brought something special. What is it? Let's see. Of course I do. <laughs> <laughs> is it for me? <laughs> You're gonna. If you can catch it. <laughs> Seriously? Okay. Work on that design. <clears throat> can we get a close-up on? Okay. <laughs> My souvenir. Oh, it doesn't say Peugeot. Oh, well. It doesn't have to I guess if you'll hold it, we'll know whose it is. <laughs> it's mine. So did you hear this thing that Dr. John says we don't need an atmosphere? I heard that. We can see more clearly. It'd make our telescopes better. <laughs> you know, I, I heard think, that. Well, that's a great yeah. idea. And then he said they're going to save money. The uh -huh. telescopes are just $5 million. Only five. Five million dollars. Huh. Hmm. It's a nice round number. I know a telescope costs more than that. Which one? That one. What is it? Look. Yeah, there it is. So what he didn't tell us is <laughs> this week, <laughs> Dr. John got a new telescope that was about five million dollars. <laughs> yeah. 
And you can see it's more than a handle. It's big. It's big. But he is doing a physics experiment because of curiosity he has about black holes. I told him, John, you can't see a black hole, but looks like he's going to go for it. It looks pretty serious yeah, this in that. It is really serious, isn't it? Look at that. Yeah. So now we know the real Dr. John, don't we? Mm -hmm. it is, it is, it's, telescopes are amazing. Yeah. My first telescope started in middle school. And uh, I had a, an amazing grandmother that uh, showed up for Christmas with a telescope. Wasn't as big as John's. But it was amazing, and it was exciting to be able to look at the skies and realize the things that Galileo had first discovered. It was just exciting. The heavens are so beautiful, especially if you get out where it's not so light and you can see the stars real clear. They're beautiful. But when you stretch your vision with a the telescope, then it becomes even more amazing, doesn't it? You know, uh, they're building a new telescope over in Hawaii. They talk about the size of a telescope by the diameter of the mirror, mm -hmm. right? And John's telescope has a diameter that's about 16 inches, or around a half a meter. That's just big. Well, you can see how big it was. And of course, when it's that big, you need a long focal point. So that's why it's over six foot tall. I'm building a bigger one. <laughs> yeah, you are? Yeah. In conjunction with the United States government. <laughs> okay. as, as a taxpayer, oh, <laughs> then you're right. I am helping yeah. to build the new Hawaiian. Would you like to see it? When I we're would building? love to okay, see it. Okay, show it to them. Ooh, this wow. is the new 100-foot diameter telescope, or 30 meters. And we should be finished, uh, they say, between 2025 and 2030. But isn't that beautiful? What an amazing giant telescope. And you know, every time they make these bigger, there's all kinds of problems, like Tobias was talking about with the bridge that they have to solve. But this will be pretty exciting to see this thing go online, won't it? It'll be very exciting. Mm -hmm. I can hardly wait. So uh, do you remember John telling us what his favorite telescope was? Uh-huh, the Hubble. Yeah, but I, I wondered what his telescope thought when he said that. <laughs> Probably got his feelings hurt. Did he name his? Oh. <laughs> I don't know. He didn't. Should we ask him? Okay. Could we get a, a Tobias close-up on John? <laughs> I there can already go. tell he All doesn't right, leave this is going to be good. And here he is hiding out in the back. And take it live. Focus, ready, set. He's fixing his shirt. Okay, here we go. There he is. Oh, there he okay, is. Okay, hi, John. There you are. So, did you name your telescope? I haven't yet. Okay, we'll name, we'll name it for you. Yeah. Black Hole Hunter. <laughs> That's a pretty good name. B W H because hole is with a W, right? <laughs> there is no. a certain kind of hole with a W. Okay, B H squared. 
Yeah. There we go. BH squared. That's, yeah. But here is John's favorite telescope. Yeah. The Hubble. This is my favorite telescope, too. It is really, really amazing. Uh, when I originally put the Hubble up in space, <laughs> me and the government, um, we forgot to send the glasses. I know. Remember, it couldn't see. They focused it. And someone that obviously did not take a cellus <laughs> made a little calculation error on grinding the mirror and got it the teeniest bit off. So they launched this telescope up in space. They turned it on, and everything was blurry. Can you imagine how hard that would be? That would, that. That that would, would be, be a bad day, be a hard wouldn't day. it? <laughs> and what can they do? I mean, maybe it'll come down in 100 days like the balloon. <laughs> no, it was, it was not only up there. It was up there in a high orbit. So it was way out in space. And um, a lot of people thought this billion-dollar project was just a failure. There's just nothing we could do about it. And then someone got this idea, why don't we make it glasses? And if any of you have ever uh, been able to benefit from glasses to be able to see, they really are amazing. I always wanted to see how that worked. And now as I got a little bit older, I've been able to. <laughs> <laughs> I, I now wear glasses when I read. And it's really nice to be able to see what the page says. But. Uh, they made a special set of glasses for this telescope, and they launched it up into space, and astronauts actually did a spacewalk. In fact, they did a whole bunch of spacewalks to install the, the glasses, and some other updates that had come along in technology. And then when they turned on Hubble, they saw things like this. Mm. Is, is that what you see when you look at the s sky at night? Maybe that's where my people are from. I think I can see some of them. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> the butterfly nebula, isn't it? Is that not the butterfly nebula? It looks like a butterfly, doesn't it? It is. Is that your nebula? It <laughs> that's is. your people. Okay. Yeah, that's what's okay. Well, that's exactly I'm starting to connect the dots. <laughs> <laughs> but mm -hmm. it is really... Amazing that that is the sky we're looking up into. It's amazing. And when you look at it from out in space, you can see it so clearly. What does this one remind you of? Fingers. I always think of it as a hand. Yeah. Out in space. And to see things like that and to see them so clearly. Now, before they put the glasses on, this was just a fuzzy image. And when we look at it from Earth through a telescope, it's a fuzzy, wavering image because the atmosphere, which is oxygen and nitrogen, which is real handy to have. <laughs> I love the atmosphere, as it turns <laughs> out. But it, it's clear. We, we're looking through the atmosphere, but when you get a large thickness of atmosphere, it starts to get a little bit distorting. The reason the sky is blue, the reason that we can see sunsets and that is all because of the atmosphere and the way that it impacts the light. Well, that can be very beautiful in the morning or in the evening at sunrise, sunset. But if you're trying to see a star at night, it can really 
distort the light coming in, the tiny little bit of light coming in. And so by being out there in space and being able to, to look uh, into the distant sky is really an amazing thing. All right, uh, what does this one remind you of? I'll, I'll, I'll give you some clues. <laughs> Look over on the right side. Okay. You see that little thing sticking out? The little dark thing? Which yeah. Side? Yeah, it's got a little handle. You see that? And then there's one up on top. Uh-huh. I wonder if that's alien life. Could be. Could be, couldn't it? Maybe it's the sorcerer's mountain. Yeah, to me, yeah, this reminds me of mountains. But this is the beauty that's right out there in our night sky. And it's really, really amazing. And telescopes make it possible. Now, <clears throat> when I installed the telescope on the 10th floor of the glass tower, my mm -hmm. new office, mm -hmm. when I was up there, I had such an amazing view. I could see things that you just never would dream. So I ordered a telescope that had two eyes. Those are called binoculars, only these are big. This is almost all I could do to lift them on the tripod. And they're very, very powerful. And when I finally got it assembled and was ready to look at something, it was all cloudy. That's another problem with the atmosphere. Of course, we need that rain, don't we? So I had to move to an earthly object. And just 10 miles from the tower, there's a little town here in Missouri, Platte City, and so I turned the telescope over onto Platte City to see if I could see it. And I looked in, in the double eyepiece and focused it, and I made a discovery. What was that? The discovery was that day in Platte City, gasoline was $1.79 a gallon. <laughs> <laughs> and that's all I Way could see. <laughs> was that little sign, and I could see bugs flying around it. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. Think about Those it. Those are powerful. A telescope is big so that it can gather a lot of light. And, you know, we talk about John's being 16 inch diameter. That's really big. Well, all the light that hits my eye is all the light that I get to see. The light comes from the same point. But if you have a bigger lens, a bigger lens, or mirror if you reflect it, then you gather more light. And the problem with a little telescope is this. You go look at something and you say, I'd like to see closer. So you take off the lens piece. It's the little lens piece that has the magnification in it. And it magnifies by how steep you ground the shape of the lens. So you take that off and put in a high power eyepiece and you can see it a lot bigger, but it's dimmer because you're magnifying what you're looking at. So you're looking at just a part of the image. Take that off. Pretty soon you get an eyepiece that is so powerful that it's too dark. You can't see anything. That's why telescopes get bigger is so they can capture more light and you can use a more powerful eyepiece and still see it. Does that make sense? But with telescopes, you can see things that absolutely did not appear like they were there. When I was looking over at this neighboring town, it was hard 
to see anything. Just a few lights on the distance. And I was able to actually go in and see a sign. When I looked without telescope, I couldn't even see the gas station or anything. It was really amazing. Now, I want to show you a, uh, a different picture, either one or before or after. Let's see. No, back, 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 back. Huh? No, there's one right before. We're, we're going to sort through my slides here for a minute, <laughs> potentially. Could we take a time? Would you like to talk a little while? <laughs> People want to know where to get the Solace hoodies. Uh, I'm sorry, we're trying to do science here. <laughs> one more, one more, one more. Okay, one more. so on the big Navy ships, they call those big binoculars, they call them big eyes. Did big you know eyes. That? <laughs> big eyes. No. Let's see all well, the ships out in the sea. All right, we'll talk about hoodies, but I just, this, hey, we're good. Okay, can I show something first? This is your show. I want to, I want to, it's my show. Yeah. It is. I love that smile. I'd like to welcome everyone here to my show. It is. Okay, Side no, with Roger no, no. Billings. I want to show you this image, which is trying to sneak away from me. This is a picture taken through a telescope of Mars. Mars. Yeah, and here it comes back. It just slipped away from me. There it went. Is it red? It's going once, going twice. There it is. This is a picture of the surface of Mars taken from a telescope. And the little circle has been added down to the bottom left corner. Can you see that circle? Uh-huh. Do you know what that is? What does it look like to you inside the circle? It looks like... Uh... Yes, exactly. <laughs> that is the Martian rover. Oh. We launched up there, what, 2004? Long time oh, right. ago, way, way, way back in it. It went off exploring all over Mars, and in 2010, it went silent. It broke down. Something happened to stop transmitting. And so it's very hard to see Mars at night. If you look out there, some people can say, that looks a little bit red to me, and that's about it. Mars isn't even the brightest star. But with a powerful telescope, look at that, they were actually able to see the rover that's amazing. Uh, roving around. I think it is really amazing. Kind of looks like the moon, doesn't it? It has a crater. Mm-hmm. You know, without erosion, water, and an atmosphere that erases the craters. Mm-hmm. We have one in Arizona where it doesn't rain much and it's still there. But it is. our craters over centuries tend to get washed away. Okay, now we've got some real exciting things to, to show you. So stay tuned. Right after the commercial, we'll be back. And now... Am I the commercial? Yes. You wanted wanted time, didn't you? It's hoodie time. (laughs) Hoodie time? Hoodie. Hoodie time. Hoodie time. Okay. So you can get this Acela's hoodie. Hoodie. Yes. In the Acela store, right? I can. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Actually, uh, do you want to stand up so we can see it? Sure. Pockets. Okay, isn't that fun? Head. There we go. Yeah. Oh, look, we got a close up now. Look at it. It's very nice. Um, I know what some of you are wishing we could do, but before we started, I promise I would not ask her to mess up her hair by putting the hoodie up. And some people wanted to see that. But I promised 
and I'm a person of my word, so I'm not going to ask her to do that. And so you kids that were really counting on that, deal with it, Henry. <clears throat> Just deal with it. I can feel your pain. Okay. I can do it. Do you want me to? Oh, we would never ask you to. <laughs> would we? I'm not a girl who doesn't mind her hair being messed up. No. Okay. Well, they are pretty nice. So, David, what do you think? Are you happy with them? They're yeah. nice. They're These were nice. kind of his, his brainchild project mm -hmm. from start to finish. And you have enough for everyone on earth to have three? What did you say? <laughs> the interesting thing is they don't get super, 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 super small, yeah. right? We have an extra, extra small, which is an adult size extra small. So for small kids, they probably won't fit. This is a small, yep. right? Mm -hmm. And we have bigger. Do you have the sizes in the store? Yes. Okay, sizes are in the store. But just realize that um, unless you want a baggy one, you know. So if we go to sellus.com, where they can find it, can't they? Mm-hmm. Sellus.com slash store. So you can get them. And uh, we negotiated a good price, right? Be sure to log in with your Cellus Academy thing, your parents, so that they save half, okay? Then they're a good deal. They are expensive. They're very but they're nice. nice. They're I think very you soft, like them. they're mm -hmm. nice. And that's embroidered. It yep. looks, looks really neat. Okay, so. So we have a question. Well, the commercial time is. <laughs> go ahead. Please, go Who's ahead. going to label me the commercial? I'm going to start planning ahead. <laughs> I'll bet, I think I could come up with some good things. <laughs> I bet they do a lot of marketing on your planet. We do through mm -hmm. our smiles, through our inspiration, through mm -hmm. our thoughts. Yes. Okay. Uh, I'll buy two. <laughs> okay. So What's from, your question? This is from John. Okay, John. He is um, wants a favor. He's a Boy Scout, and he's um, wondering if you can tell any of your stories that you went through during your Boy Scout. Years. <laughs> is that right, John? <laughs> Trustworthy, helpful, friendly. <laughs> of course I could. Yeah, scouting story. But we need to finish up with Mars. If you discovered a new planet, you could name it. Mm -hmm. I could. Pluto, Peugeot. <laughs> Pluto, Peugeot? If you did two planets, you could have Peugeot and Monet. <laughs> that that's, has a nice sound to it. I like that Lots word. of times when we make the biggest and most wonderful discoveries upon more careful observation, we find out that maybe our observation wasn't what we thought it was. Mm -hmm. And uh, this image will give you kind of an idea how that happens sometimes. See, I told you it wasn't a new planet. <laughs> Is it? He's kind of cleaning the speck off, isn't he? Yep. There goes your planet, Peugeot. <laughs> it's a pretty dirty place anyway. I mean, I meant, can we have another commercial? <laughs> okay, anyway, I just, I wanted to be sure and get to that. Okay. Uh, that was yeah, well worth getting That's kind to. of important. <laughs> the, what was the name of our friend that 
John. John. Mm -hmm. Okay, John is a scout, and uh, uh, I'm a scout. I'm very proud to be an Eagle Scout. And I, I enjoyed scouting for a lot of reasons, but one of the big reasons was because of how much I learned. Scouting is a, was a great learning thing. They have the different ranks that you work through, and each step requires some learning, and then you get into merit badges. To earn an Eagle Scout, you need 21 merit badges. Uh -huh. And of course, I was having so much fun getting merit badges, I earned a bronze palm, and then a silver palm, and, and each one of those, another six merit badges. Every merit badge is an opportunity to learn about something that you're interested in. And a lot of those merit badges are about science things, which is really fun. And one of the things really neat about scouting is they have merit badge counselors that are volunteers that live somewhere nearby you that are expert in the merit badge subject. So you want to learn about astronomy, and there is an astronomy merit badge, and <clears throat> I proudly wear that. Funny. Well, then you get to go to the, you have the book, and you can read about it, and you can learn about it. But then you get to go pass off the merit badge by meeting this person that is knowledgeable. And that really is what we now refer today to as mentoring. Mentoring is a, a wonderful thing, wonderful way to learn. Um, have you ever looked at mentoring backwards? There are a lot of people that decide, I'm going to mentor some students, and, and they do. But I always looked at it from the point of view of, I am a student, and I want to learn stuff, so I'm going to find somebody that knows. And it really is amazing how many people will take time to help you understand something if you show a genuine and a sincere interest. Um, we, we've talked many times about how knowledge is power. In fact, the problem with being last, you have to wear sunglasses. <laughs> and Tobias stole my thunder tonight talking all about how valuable, yeah, you better step out. <laughs> and uh, important knowledge is, and he, he gave a nice plug for physics and for math. He mm -hmm. didn't say anything for chemistry. Ooh. Chemistry's good. But these things really do give you an opportunity to learn. Um, and I, I did say I would just share one of my scout experiences. I have a lot. Have a lot of experiences, yeah. And, and they are experiences that taught me life skills, life truths, things about how to work with people and, and other things. Um, I went to scout camp. That's kind of where you get to really have a concentrated period of a week to, to learn. And uh, I went to scout camp twice, two years in a row, 12 and 13. By the time I was 14, I was pretty much grown up. <laughs> and so that's when I decided I was going to go to scout camp all summer. So I need to run the little hobby craft store there. And how I was able to get that job was an interesting experience. I applied for it, and they had you fill out an application. So what experience do you have? I didn't have any. Have you ever worked in a store? 
No. Have you ever had experience running a cash register? No, 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 no. And he said, well, you know, we're looking for someone that had a little bit of experience. So I got on my bicycle and headed home. <laughs> but on the way, I went past the neighborhood grocery store. And I said, are you looking for volunteers? <laughs> volunteers? Yeah. I'm, I'm here to do some volunteering. Well, do you want what? You're going to clean up? Uh, no, I want to be cashier. <laughs> but you don't have to pay me. Well, I hung around, and eventually the store let me restock shelves, and then they let me bag, and then finally one day, one day only, they let me run the cashier with the real cashier right behind me, <laughs> which was fun. And then I went back, it was like maybe three weeks later, I said, I'm experienced. <laughs> and they hired me. And so I got the job to be the store manager at camp. And they're just and I, I ended up doing that for three years, which I, I really, really enjoyed. I was what they called permanent staff. That meant I was there all summer. And then we had junior staff that were there for two weeks. We called them JOs. I had a lot of fun with the JOs. Uh, we had a, a camp director that uh, was hilarious. Uh, his name was Mr. Turner, and he was a very good scouter. And one day, um, we came in to eat in the mess tent, and we had a camp cook for the, just the staff. The scouts, they were up on the hill there, and they had to do their own cooking. But we had a cook guy, and he cooked the food, and so he had a couple JOs that would always help him, a different one every day. And so we came in, we sat down, and they started serving stew. And all of a sudden, Mr. Turner, the camp director, stopped eating. And he says, how come the cook isn't eating the stew? <laughs> That's a dead and giveaway. scout camp, well. anything can happen, right? <laughs> and he says, no, come on, tell me, what happened? What happened? And so the story started coming out slowly. What happened is all they had was a wood-burning stove. And you don't just turn the knob up and down. You build a bigger fire for hotter, and you pull it off the stove for cooler. Well, it got too hot. It started boiling. So the cook lifted the big pot of stew off the stove and set on the floor. And one of the JOs was backing up and stepped in it. <laughs> They say, why would I tell you that story? Well, the camp director figured out there was something going on. And when he heard that story, oh, no, we're all going to get athlete's mouth. <laughs> now, that didn't really inspire us much, did it? But um, it, it is really exciting to be able to get closer to nature and to learn some of the skills that many people have forgotten. Scouting program was a, a very good experience for me and for millions of other young men. There are other programs like that, but I, I recommend that we all connect with the earth. We all get our fingers into the soil and, and fill and understand. I, I think everybody should grow some plants. It doesn't happen very fast, but it, I don't know, I think it regrounds us. You gotta and get dirty. That's a good thing to do. 
Gotta get dirty. On your planet? Yeah, you have to get dirty. You have to smell that. Yeah, on wet our dirt, planet, we, we try it. to clean up a little bit, but you know, we, we, we respect clean up well. we, we respect all the Federation of Planets. <laughs> we yeah. clean up well, but you've got to you got to get that dirt under your fingernails and get it dirty. So there were a group of uh, scouts that came up that were very disrespectful to me. And uh, when they would, when I would open the big window of my pavilion store and start selling my crafts and treats and ice cream and things, they wouldn't line up. I wanted an order, at least our guys, you need to line up or I won't sell anything to anybody. <laughs> so anyway, we kind of got off on a bad foot. And th anyway, they started giving me a real hard time. So Wednesday night, their troop decided to do an overnight camp out in Pine Forest. <laughs> Pine Forest is up the hill, over the hill, and down there there was a whole little forest of pine trees. And the pine needles were so thick it was like being on an air mattress. Just mm. go lay in there, put your bag on it. So they went up there, and I heard they were going. Now one of the projects that I had learned how to do was to make a Colpitz oscillator which means I can make a little radio transmitter. And so I did. I made a little radio transmitter, and I'd already done that. That was something I was quite interested in, so I had it. And in our little cabin, we had electricity. It was, it was pretty neat. But we took a couple transistor radios up to Pine Forest, and we hung them. We was the cook and I. We hung them in pine trees up a few feet. And then we came back to our little camp. We, we tuned them to my little transmitter, which I turned off because it wasn't time, but they were playing. Well, here comes the, I shouldn't mention they were from Hurricane, but there was a little town <laughs> called Hurricane. The Hurricane Troop, and they were hurricanes. Hurricane anyway, okay. they came up there and they, uh, put out their bags, and they started to uh, camp out. And then I decided it was time to play some music. And I had that album from Disney. It was called The Haunted House. It was sound effects <laughs> of The Haunted House. <laughs> and it started playing these sound effects, and they could hear it. And the wind was blowing through the pine trees, and they heard this noise come out. But they said, the report the next day, it was coming from every direction. <laughs> Two, to be exact. It was coming from every direction. <laughs> and it got louder, and it was, it's amazing how the stories embellish. But it can be a lot of fun to interact. I now look back on that and... Uh, Say shame on me. I don't. I don't think I would do that today. Really? No, no. There's there's two kinds of teases, and a mean tease uh, is a tease where you might hurt someone's feelings. And I I think someone got pretty upset, and I thought well, you're shame trying to on instill me. Braveness in them? Well, there's certainly a reason to inspire people to be brave, but um, it was me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it made us laugh, but it didn't make them laugh. It didn't make them feel 
and, and I, I felt bad, and the next day, I had to give them all ice creams. <laughs> and I showed them the radio, and I think some of them are going to sleep better at nights now. <laughs> but it's, the, the, the points are two that I'd make. One is, man, you can do a lot of neat things with technology. <laughs> you really can. Uh, we did have a ham radio up there, and we could call down to the nearest town, which was about 25 miles away, and order a pizza and then deliver. <laughs> nice. yeah. But the other point was, uh, we really need to be more mindful of each other. Uh, there were a lot of things I could have done that would have been just as fun. And no one would have had to take the meanness that some of those boys felt. When you're out all alone, and this happened to be in the mountains, uh, you feel like you're really vulnerable, and you're out there all by yourselves, and then all of a sudden something real creepy comes up out of the trees. <laughs> you can only imagine. Um, there was a way that I could have done that that would have been um, less painful, I think, to them. And now that's, that is my message. That was a mistake I made that I can draw from and say, okay, I don't want to ever be that kind of person again. Um, some of those guys became my friends. I've kind of lost touch with them now because it's been a while. But uh, don't ever miss an opportunity to do something kind. Don't ever pass one up for anybody. Uh, my grandfather once told me that if I ever get an enemy, just one enemy, it'll be one too many. And he said, you can never have enough friends. And you know, those are words that were true when he said them, and they will always be true. And I just, I'm glad that I recovered and that I came clean and that we became friends. I'm not sure all of them are my friends, but it uh, really is good advice for life. And sometimes when we're doing the things that we do and we're all caught up in our own affairs and business, we don't realize the, the value of every single friendship around us. And that's, that's probably one of the most important lessons of life. We can learn that. We can learn a lot of things. So I want to apologize for tricking you into putting the hoodie on. <laughs> well, it's not my first time around the block, and to say no is all right. Can I remind you that we didn't we didn't force you? Oh, I don't feel forced at we all. We kind of coerced, though, didn't we? I mean, didn't you? I mean, didn't so, I? so is that the place where you sing? You'll never walk your, alone. Your hair still looks uh -huh. really nice. Uh -huh. Is what I was going to say. Is that the place where you sing? No, that was Mount St. Helens. <laughs> the trees. <laughs> Did I'm you hear being about the serious. mountain that blew up at St. Helens? <laughs> all around the trees just went down flat. So, who wants to hear about You'll Never Walk Alone? I would love to hear it. Let's hear it. So, the story goes mm -hmm. do I have it right that you are now? I don't know <laughs> what you're talking about. <laughs> Wasn't it Scout Camp? Have you been spying? <laughs> We have our ways, many of my people. <laughs> well,
Mr. Turner, realizing that we had parents coming up for parent night on Friday night, he told me that I could create the ceremony for the parents and the scouts mm -hmm. on Friday night. We had a lake and we would light a uh, bonfire on a raft out in the lake and then we sat around. It was really beautiful. Mm -hmm. He says, well, you can do the ceremony to light the campfire. And so I ran a wire from the raft clear up to the rifle range, which is clear up the hill. And of course, from a distance in the night, that wire was invisible. You're so smart. And so then, <clears throat> when it came time for the opening ceremony, we had Indians, Boy Scouts, dressed up out of respect to our Native American heritage in this country, and they came out in the lake, and we'd learned how to do the J-stroke. Canoers know about that. J-stroke, mm -hmm. you can paddle on one side of the canoe and go straight. People that don't know the J-stroke, paddle on one side and you go in circles. <laughs> the J-stroke, you put a little J on the end and it keeps it going straight. So they came out. One was standing up in the front of the canoe like this, and the other one was doing the J-stroke, and we put music on. Uh -huh. We had a thing to play music. And then when they got there, the guy that was holding his arm, he put up his hands in front of the fire, and he said, Oh, great spirit, send us fire. And we literally lit a wad of cotton on the tip of a arrow up there. And we had two little hooks tying it to the wire. And they shot it down. It comes shooting out of the sky. How neat. Light How neat. See, that's inspirational. That was inspirational. <laughs> Is that what you were asking about? That's not the song, you'll never walk alone. Are you doing a mean tease? <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> I love that smile, though. Yeah, right. Well, I would, I would like to tell you about an experience, but we're out of time. Okay, we'll save it for next time. Yeah, right. <laughs> I Thank don't you very it. much, John, for helping us remember about our scouting days. And you guys that are in scouting, scout hard. And you know, if you're going to do something, do it right. Go for the, yeah. go for the top. Yeah. And if it's you're in volleyball or you're in other kinds of activities, be your best. Yeah. It really is fun to be your best. And, of course, one thing you all have in common, you're all going for the science fair gold. <laughs> so we'll see you there next year. Thank you. We'll see you next time. <laughs> we did it.